Hi, I'm Warren Schulberg, and welcome to Retail Watch, a podcast where I talk to the people who are shaping the world of home furnishings retailing. Today, I'm chatting with Jesse James, who's the founder of the Shop Object Trade Show, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of things, including how in the world do you do a live in-person trade show when people are kind of spooked about getting together in person? Lots of questions. We'll get to all that in a minute, but first, as these things go, here's a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Retail Watch is brought to you by Affirm. With Affirm, you can offer your customers a smarter way to pay over time for the things they love. When they have the option to split purchases into budget-friendly payments, shoppers tend to spend more and come back more often. On average, businesses that offer Affirm see an 85% lift in their average order volume and a 20% repeat purchase rate. With more than 6 million shoppers in the Affirm network and payment options for any price point, you can convert more shoppers who come back again and again. So get started today at Affirm.com slash B-O-H. That's A-F-F-I-R-M dot com slash B-O-H. All right, let's get to the show. The gift and home industry finds itself in an amazing position. Business is as good as it can possibly be. Everybody's still focused on their home. Uh, The problem is that getting goods is an issue. The supply chain is a mess. And the process of buying and selling gift and home products is pretty uh, upended too. A lot of the major trade shows and market weeks have been canceled for uh, a year, 18 months, some of them even for two years. Buyers and sellers have had to uh, adjust and have come up with all kinds of creative things. Our uh, guest today, Jesse James, uh, had the um, interesting timing of uh, running a terrific uh, gift and home sales agency and then deciding to get into the trade show business. So uh, he wasn't happy having one problem. He decided two would be much better. Uh, I think that's a good place to start. Um, Jesse, you were running a great, successful repping and product company. What in the world possessed you to want to go in the business of of running a trade show? (laughs) Well, first, Warren, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, a pleasure. It was not really uh, a calculated decision. Um, I sort of found myself feeling like I had no choice but to try something different. I spent decades uh, in the halls of major convention centers uh, doing trade shows with my showroom. I, in the beginning, looked forward to it. It was my favorite time of year. It was the most exciting thing uh, twice a year to go and build a big booth from scratch and bring in new lines and merchandise and come up with exciting ways of presenting product. And it had gotten to a place where it was the time of year that I dreaded most. Hmm. Everyone in my company and I uh, would sort of get anxious in advance of trade show season. And uh, people would get colds and break out in hives and (laughs) Or, you know, things that just were were ultimately uh, signs of the stress level that the experience was bringing to the table for me. And in many ways, that was because the 
the major experience I was having in, in New York, at least where I'm based, was no longer um, what it needed to be. I was starting to see pipe and drape from my booth. Um, I was starting to see more and more empty spaces that were filled with massage stations or quick lounges or things that were really meant to fill space. And I didn't feel that I was getting um, enough of an opportunity to be a part of the conversation. So for years, we all collectively uh, would see our neighbors, friendly competitors, touch base and say, how's your show going? And as uh, traffic might have dwindled a bit, people would still keep up a good front, you know, good, good, you know, a little slow, <laughs> Um, the numbers are good in the end. How about you? You know, that kind of thing. And eventually I hit a point where everyone sort of dropped the veil and just said, this, this kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't want to be here right now. Or this is a lot of money to spend and it's not feeling like it's necessarily moving in the right direction. And so when I kind of recognized that there were plenty of people that I knew and loved or, or um, certainly respected around me who were in the same boat, it just felt like there was no harm in trying something new. And there were some basic requirements that I felt as an exhibitor were missing. And ultimately, I feel like the exhibitor experience translates to the buyer experience. So if we could make a better experience for exhibitors and have them enjoy the process more and be excited about it again, that that would be a win-win. So we just kind of went out on a limb. I called a friend of mine um, that I hadn't been in touch with for years, Minya Quirk. And I knew that she had a trade show in the apparel industry that she had just sold with her partner, Deirdre Maloney, who... Uh, I met with I met with the two of them and said, "Hey, what do you what do you think about maybe starting a trade show?" <laughs> you know, it just was well timed. They said, "Sure, let's do it." They didn't say, "Hey, you're crazy. What do you want to do this for?" No, they didn't. Um, <laughs> honestly, if I had if I had thought a little harder, if I'd thought about um, what we were taking on, um, I might have paused. But it just felt right. It felt like it couldn't hurt. I wasn't thinking about shaking things up in some kind of grandiose way. I wasn't thinking about trying to get in the way of other businesses or take on a behemoth or anything like that. It was just, it was just something that felt like myself and the vendors that I represented and the people that I knew in the industry and the stores that I spoke to, you know, would be open to giving a shot. Let's try something new, a little smaller, a little more intimate, a little more curated, a little more thoughtful, uh, a little more fun. And again, that's no shade to anyone, but it's what I needed at that time. For myself, for my family, for the people in my company, I needed to love my work again. It sounds like you needed it for both your mental and your physical health, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And. And in my line of work as a reporter, um, I've just uh, committed the cardinal sin, which is we've buried the lead, which is the name of the show is Shop Objet. And um, uh, we have not mentioned that. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, uh, but 
let's uh, let's talk about the other side uh, of your yin and yang life, which is um, aesthetic movement. Tell us a little bit about that agency. In my mind, as somebody who sees a lot of a lot of companies, a lot, a lot of showrooms, a lot of boots, a lot of sales companies, you guys always seem to be much more hands on when it came to the products and to working with the vendors uh, and the lines that you represented. Tell me a little bit about how that works and what what was your kind of mantra doing this? Sure. Um, well, first, as a quick point of clarification, I love hearing people call our trade show Shop Objet, but I call it Shop Object. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I do still call Target Target, so I I will make a note of that. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. Many, many participants in the show call it Shop Objet, and I, I kind of love it. Okay. Um, aesthetic movement is, again, you know, in some way getting into the world of, of running a trade show or running a, a, a showroom or a trade show. These are things that sort of just happened over time because of uh, the life experience that I was developing. And uh, when I launched Aesthetic Movement, it was after ending a partnership with someone I'd been in business with for about 14 years in another showroom that was a West Coast, Northern California showroom that I um, took national over the course of, of, of many years. And um, ultimately, when I decided to go out on my own, I wanted it to be a national showroom. So I didn't, there are a lot of great showrooms around the country. There are lots of wonderful regional showrooms that do a much better job than I could in um, working with um, many brands in a tighter uh, territory. For us, uh, what was interesting was working with brands from the ground up. I was always interested in incubation, working with brand new lines, working with people who had great ideas, maybe a tiny bit of funding, but needed a lot of handholding and uh, didn't know how to bring their product to market, um, as opposed to representing companies that had a proven track record, um, that had, you know, years of sales history that we could analyze and make decisions about and uh, projections about what the expectation was going to be financially for us and them from the get go. It was always more a labor of love. It was always more a desire to really bring new things to market and new faces and new people to market. So I know showrooms and, 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 and sales agencies have always played a, a kind of a hand-holding role with some of the startups and some of the smaller companies. But it sounds like you're, you're much more in the trenches with some of these guys. And, and to me, that's unusual. I mean, wouldn't you say that? Well, I don't know because I haven't worked for a lot of other showrooms. So okay. I don't, I don't always know what, the, what, they, uh, what their model is. Um, I sometimes feel like my ignorance around certain things, you know, I didn't go to business school, uh, uh, has kind of allowed me to play by the gut a little bit. The inspiration to move forward with a brand or a product is not about the financial benefit first and foremost. I don't think about that first. I think about whether I like the person, whether I like the product, whether I feel interested in bringing it to the table and um and then all the other stuff hopefully falls into place so that's that's again bad business 101 no one listen to me if you're thinking about starting the showroom um, but it uh it's just kind of how i found my way into this world and what keeps it 
exciting and interesting for me. Let's let's just do the quick uh, the quick the quick bio. Mm-hmm. How'd you get involved in this kind of silliness to begin with? <laughs> I would give a lot of credit for that to my uncle Bo James, who uh, passed away a few years ago, but was in the toy industry and. Many people in this world, many people that I see at trade shows to this day, knew him, loved him, uh, worked with him over many decades. And uh, when I was sort of a struggling young adult trying to figure out what to do with my life after growing up wanting to be an actor or uh, some kind of fine artist or (laughs) struggling with the idea of balancing my true sort of childhood love of just flipping through the Montgomery Ward catalog and Mm. thinking about how to furnish a room and those kinds of things with this kind of obsession with the higher arts. And I was a high school dropout and then a college dropout. And my uncle just kind of brought me under his wing at one point and started taking me to trade shows to help him set up his booths or uh, put stamps on his envelopes or help him with his schedule or booking his flights, that kind of thing. And so through that, I got to do things like go to the doll and teddy bear expo or, (laughs) you know, to this day, I, I I couldn't really imagine myself in, but still uh, they were uh, experiences that kind of taught me a little bit about how this world worked. Um, No matter what you're selling, no matter what you're buying, the world of trade shows is kind of the same. There are elements at play in any field. And I got a real job working for a seminal New York City-based graphic designer, Tibor Kalman, M&Co. And that was my first sort of real gig that wasn't uh, waiting tables or <clears throat> just helping out here or there. And it was a pretty immediate uh, introduction to this world. He had just come back from Rome where he had founded Colors Magazine with Benetton. He had left mm-hmm. New York to do that for many years. He and his wife, Myra Kalman, who's a, a very well-known uh, author, illustrator. Um, and they returned to New York and he was taking his company, M&Co, uh, back in-house and ready to start doing product again. They had a pretty good run for many years selling products mostly to museum stores. Um, He had a very well-known line of watches and clocks where the numbers were all in the wrong place or something about them was... (laughs) And and he uh, first was interviewing me about a, a, a magazine that he was possibly going to be launching with Barnes and Noble. Uh, But instead he just sort of heard my experience and he had a nose for hiring young talent who were willing to be paid little, but work hard. And I was that. And he said, you know what, how about you run my product line? And I said, sure. And so my first day on the job, I called the one rep that was still working with his product, which was, uh, Catherine Kina, my ex-business partner out in California. Um, and she said, well, why don't you come out here and do a trade show at the San Francisco, you know, show at the Moscone Center and you can do a booth and uh, we'll take it from there. And I, and I went and set up a booth and it was good and successful. And um, sadly, 
Tibor passed away and his product line was licensed to MoMA. And uh, Catherine and I decided to partner up and I was going to open an East Coast branch of her business and take it from there. And that's that's what happened. We slowly, um, not so slowly, actually uh, expanded to cover the whole country. We're taking a break for another quick word from our friends at Affirm. Every business wants to boost sales. Offering discounts may seem like the easy solution, but we all know they can squeeze your margins. Affirm gives you a better way. Their pay-over-time solutions help you reframe prices as budget-friendly payments, no discounts required. With tailored term lengths, 0% APR promos, and payment options for every price point, retailers like Article and Borough are already using Affirm to jumpstart their sales. Are you ready to jumpstart yours? Get started in seconds at affirm.com slash B-O-H. That's A-F-F-I-R-M dot com slash B-O-H. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, Aesthetic Movement was founded when? Uh, 2009. And uh, Shop Object was started when? Oh, you asked me the tough question. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. 2008. Late that, 2018. Early that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. You were building this show. It was it, it was growing quickly. It was it was pretty amazing. I I went to every one of them and uh, just watched uh, the the progress every time, and it just got bigger and more interesting, and it just had a, a vibrancy that uh, a lot of other shows uh, around the country didn't have. Um, and then, uh, bam, uh, COVID hit. So. Um, what was your first thought and how long did it take you to figure out a way to keep this thing going virtually or anyway? We were lucky because we had already started to develop a concept around a parallel online component to our show. We recognized really at the inception of shop object that that was going to be necessary uh, in order to move forward into the future. And I think that that became extremely obvious when COVID hit, but it was already clear that the world was moving in a certain direction, that people were becoming more and more accustomed to uh, shopping at any time from any place, whenever they wanted to or needed to. And that, you know, people were moving in a direction of printing less catalogs, doing things more digitally, and that it would be smart and thoughtful to have a digital component to our trade show. So the conversations were already underway about that, uh, but it wasn't necessarily intended uh, in the beginning to be e-commerce immediately. And so we had to pivot to add a wholesale e-commerce element to our platform. We felt like not being able to take orders through the platform was not smart long-term and we jumped in head first. So, uh, you know, it was a pivot for sure. And a really significant, significant one and probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, but the groundwork and the armature and the spark was already in place. And you decided to develop it, uh, internally or, or independently from some of the other virtual marketplaces that have been uh, coming along. Yes. What was the thinking on that? I mean, you you really wanted your own setup? Oh, 
Yeah, I think that um, it was not going to be possible for us to find something that pre-existed that was designed in a way that we would love. I think we just kind of knew that we had an idea of how this would work that we needed to have a hand in developing from scratch. And we found partners um, that believed in our vision enough to join us in that process. Now, uh, if you ask me right after the launch of our first season, if that was the right choice, I might've questioned it <laughs> because <laughs> it was, uh, I'm used to building spaces. I'm used to putting up walls and painting them and hanging shelves and going to the flower market and putting together a, f- a physical space that is fun and dynamic and interesting. But in this particular project, a huge part of its success was out of our hands. It was in the hands of our tech partners. And, you know, it was stressful in the beginning uh, because there was so much that was so new. But then we started to see how quickly you could make adjustments and begin to change things and to respond to the activity of the day. And we ended up having an incredible first season where, you know, we sold millions of dollars worth of product. And I think in the beginning, there was this uncertainty of what, uh, what it was meant to be. I think people sort of were imagining a trade show within a tight window of time that was translated from the physical to the digital, when in fact, what we were creating is a platform that's 24 seven, 365 days a year. And so that first three days of its launch was not where the bulk of the business happened. The business happened as people got comfortable with the reality of the new world we were living in and started to recognize that they could go back to this resource. And, you know, our best months were October, November, even after Christmas, January at that time was our busiest month ever because we were really appealing to people that needed to get product back in store quickly. You know, there was that learning curve of getting people comfortable and getting ourselves comfortable with what this was going to look and feel like. But it was uh, it was well worth it. So um, next month in September, you're you're going back and doing your first physical live show in New York. Um, what's that like? Uh, how weird is that? And kind of how do you see the physical and the virtual playing with each other? Are, are they both going to continue kind of on parallel tracks? How does this shake out? I, I don't think anybody really knows, but um, – I'm curious what you think. I think the hybrid model is here to stay. And I think we entered this new season committed uh, to approaching it that way. We forced people to recognize that having that digital component as part of the big picture going forward was going to be critical to Uh, our platform, at least. And I think that uh, it's here to stay. So we all want and need and are so excited to be gathering again in physical spaces. I just came back from the Atlanta market, which was really wonderful. It was wonderful to be in rooms and spaces with 
all the people that I've been missing and to, mm-hmm. uh, and to do really good business in that physical space. But there's no question that the digital component adds something to the mix that will be valuable from here on out. I, I think what we've done is really design a platform that integrates the digital components that we've built with the physical shows that we are once again going to be putting on um, so that you have an enhanced experience at the physical show. Uh, instead of gathering dozens and dozens of catalogs and writing notes here and there, you have the ability to access the show with the QR code that you have uh, as a registrant of Shop Online, which is our digital marketplace. And you can scan QR codes in every booth around the show, which immediately mark them as a saved vendor within the platform so that you can easily access everyone you've seen or liked at the show and go back to it. You can take notes within the system. You can develop and write orders on your own within the platform while walking around the show, or vendors can do it for you within the platform that you can then access as a draft order later when you go home. It's just a way to consolidate all of that information that you get when you go to a show and see hundreds and hundreds of brands in one easy place. Uh, that's something that is valuable to people who love to walk the aisles of trade shows and is valuable to people who are still shopping from home. And uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I think anyone who isn't sort of integrating that into their forward vision is making a, a mistake, really. You're allowed a 30-second commercial. Uh, the show is when and where? The show is September 19th to the 21st at... Pier 36, which is our waterside home in lower Manhattan, known to some as Basketball City. (laughs) Um, It is in the heart of a thriving, exciting part of our city. And it's right in between the Manhattan and Brooklyn bridges. And it's, uh, it's a place that I can't wait to get back to. If you're listening to this show, you love home furnishings. And if you love home furnishings, you've got to go to Business of Homes Future of Home Conference. This event will be taking place in person, yes, in person, this fall, September 13th and 14th. It'll be two days of discussions with leading thinkers about how businesses can turn high demand into meaningful growth how the pandemic has shifted consumer behavior and psychology, and how we can all stay inspired in the midst of what has been a crazy year. It's going to be great fun, and I promise you'll learn something. I know I will. Get your tickets now at futureofhome.com. And of course, a huge shout out to our sponsors, the Creighton Barrel CB2 Trade Program, the High Point Market Authority, Benjamin Moore, Hunter Douglas, Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams, Afterpay, Pinterest, Kohler, Callista, Ann Sachs, Roburn, Universal Furniture, Krypton, and EQ3. We'll see you there. As physical shows return, do you see a a a um, a ratio of of how much business you expect to be done? Uh, in person versus online. I mean, is that a fair question? Because it, as you know, with some of the things you're doing, it's fuzzy, you know, where was that order actually uh, created? But I mean, do you see, do you see any kind of uh, balance settling in there? 
Well, we're still in a really interesting time. And there are unknown elements to how everything will shake out for us and for the world. Um, but part of what you pointed out at the beginning of this conversation about the supply chain really figures into what we are going to experience this season. I think we're writing uh, and expecting to write a lot of business physically at the show because people want to know availability in real time. They want to talk to brands face-to-face -face and understand what they can anticipate receiving and by when. I think there are a lot of unanswered questions about supply chain that people will have better answers to by September. And I also see uh, from the experience we've had on the showroom side so far that people are buying a lot right now. And I think part of the reason that they're buying so much is yes, pent up shopping desire, <laughs> but also uh, because they don't know exactly what they're going to get. And they're willing to take what they can get when they get it. If they, I've heard some buyers say, if they don't, you know, sell everything this season, uh, then they'll have some leftover for next. Now that's an unorthodox approach <laughs> to filling the shelves of a store, but it is where some smaller retailers heads are at right now uh, because there is so much unknown. Um, so I think we're going to have a season uh, at the end of this year where there's lots of order writing at the physical show. And I think that over time it will shake out a little differently. I think the physical shows are a place where people come to see new things, to talk to people in person, to imagine an assortment of how the products from this brand might sit nicely with the products from that brand to talk it out in real time while physically touching things. A lot of those orders over the past five or six years have started to come in in the weeks after the show rather than at the show itself. Certainly, I think that will continue. Um, but the thing about this moment is that we're creating opportunities, and I think we have to, to work with individual buyers the way they want to work. And everyone's different. Some people work for larger companies where there are, you know, moments with an open to buy and they need to spend those dollars then, or very specific needs that they're approaching. Other stores, uh, more independent stores are really open to what they might come across and see and their vision and their idea for what the store is going to look like that season develops as they're out there hunting for product. Um, other people can't or don't want to travel yet and they're shopping from home and that's what makes sense for them and i think it's our job to be there for them in any way that they want to be shopping yeah well i think you use the word hybrid and i think that's as uh, a good explanation as anything and um i i agree with you on uh, uh the overbuying you know i i just read an interview with uh, with elon musk who who compared all of this this hoarding at the wholesale level to uh, what people were doing with toilet paper uh, eighteen months ago? That they were just they were just going crazy and hoarding it and stockpiling it. And so I think we're going to see retailers uh, doing this too. Absolutely uh, agree. So um, 
anybody who's writing off trade shows, you would say not so much that uh, physical trade shows are still a really important piece of, uh, of doing business. Absolutely. And that might be different for different product categories or different kinds of companies. Certainly, I've always lived and worked in a bit of a niche space. And uh, in the world I live in, that is something that is always going to be wanted and needed. And I, I absolutely agree with you. So uh, uh, save the really hard questions for the end. So, um, uh, you know, these are the ones that are really going to put you on the spot. Uh, you've always, at least since I've known you, have had a very distinctive personal style. You know, when I just saw you in Atlanta, you, you know, you're the only guy wearing a, you know, a French workman's uh, uh, blue jacket and a, and a straw hat. So uh, how long have you been dressing that way? And uh, what's the, what's the style uh, credo there? Uh, I don't. I don't think I'm the only person wearing a French blue workman's jacket these days. But um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I can certainly look through the archives of photos of myself over the years, and uh, there is not one distinct look that would uh, define my whole life. I guess I've. Uh, I I grew up in the '80s. Uh, I was experimental with the stuff that I would wear. Uh, and I think of myself as pretty conservative these days, to be honest. I mean, uh, by comparison, probably. So um, I don't know. I feel like when I'm out in the world, I'm constantly seeing people with uh, amazing style. And I, um, I would be lucky to uh, emulate them in any possible way. But um, I definitely am not comfortable tucking in a shirt to a pair of suit pants and putting on a tie. Never have been. Okay. Um, so comfort is the name of the game, I guess. Well, you look like the guy who would run aesthetic movement. So I guess uh, that's successful. And um, uh, I'll make a deal with you that I, I won't show you my pictures from years ago if uh, you don't show me yours. Uh, um, finally, uh, you know, you got to admit, Jesse James is a distinctive name. Is it? Uh, is that what your parents named you? And if so, what were they thinking? <laughs> they named me Jesse Hampton Nathaniel William Floyd. James. Wow. So yes, uh, it is, uh, it's something that I did not choose <laughs> and I'm still getting used to. <laughs> but you've dropped all the middle names. Yes. And that's probably wise. Yeah. They, uh, I do have my favorite, um, L.L. Bean tote, you know, those traditional L.L. Yeah. Bean initial totes where I, I, I put all of my initials on them and I kind of love that. <laughs> Well, you know, not many people have names that uh, that uh, Bob Dylan has written songs about. So I guess I, I guess there's something to be said for that. Um, and that tote bag, I'm sure, looks like an eye chart with all the initials. So uh, so that's good. Um, Jesse, we uh, can't wait to see the the September show um, for our listeners who have not been to a a shop object show. It is it's 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 very different and it's very special. 
uh, and it has a certain flavor and vibe that uh, I just don't see anywhere else in the gift and home trade. So um, if you're if you're looking for a show to attend in September, I think it's as good as good as anyone. Look forward to seeing you. And Jesse, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Warren. It was a pleasure. Well, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover the show. And if you have a question or some feedback or complaints, shoot me a note. It's retailwatch at businessofhome.com. And if you're interested in keeping up with the home industry in general, make sure to check out businessofhome.com. You'll find free newsletters, job postings, and more great podcasts. Retail Watch is produced by me, Warren Schulberg, and Fred Nikolaus. This episode was edited by Fred Nikolaus. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see or hear you in two weeks. Bye.